podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So let me paint the picture for you folks, because technology always fouls us. So Kurt Collins normally communicates with us on a microphone using Skype. Unfortunately, we couldn't get that to work, so I called him on a telephone. Kurt, you sound really good. Well, I apologize for the technical difficulties, but uh, here we are. Very good. And because he doesn't use Skype at all, we have Jerry Clark on telephone. Hi, Gene and Kurt. Nice to be here. Hey, you know, I wanted you on because you have this amazing historical perspective. Because you're the author of one of the most expensive UFO books ever to be published. (laughs) The UFO Encyclopedia, which costs, I understand, about $12 million right now. Yeah, on sale. That's right, you know, from $15 million. You know, it's like it's, it's like when they gave Bob Bigelow twenty-two million dollars to do a UFO investigation under this Pentagon program. That was enough to buy ten toilet seats. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. I had nothing to do with it. Well, we didn't blame you for it. We'll blame you for something else <laughs> as we progress, but we didn't blame you for that. But I was thinking here, and I get, get an offhanded comment before we get into the main focus of this episode of the Paracast something, where, okay, so the Pentagon approves this $22 million. It goes to Bob Bigelow, who rings up MUFON and asks them to help him in his investigation. So indirectly, for the time it worked, MUFON was getting funds from the Pentagon by way of Bob Bigelow to do this investigation. How does that strike you in general? Well, it could strike me worse because I have, shall we say, an ambivalent view of MUFON and always have had. But the MUFON Department of Directions is very ably headed by a guy named uh, Robert Powell, who lives down in Austin, Texas. Sure. And is an engineer, a very smart guy, and very capable investigator who has a network of other capable investigators. You know, I, I don't have trouble with that. I, my problem would be if there was something sneaky going on or something incompetent going on. But if you're going to deal with civilian ufologists, MUFON's Department of uh, Investigation under Robert Powell is a pretty good place to start. We've had Robert Powell on the Paracast a couple of times, and I look forward to having him on again. So, yes, I agree with you. He certainly knows his stuff. Now, the thing that has concerned me about the new Pentagon program, and now it's a line item in the most recent military budget, is that it's like... All the stuff you and I have encountered over the years, and Kurt Collins, our guest co-host, has encountered over the years in terms of UFOs, they don't seem to exist anymore. It's like we were all irrelevant. Uh, yes. I mean, I think that uh, we're, not, we're not irrelevant quite yet, but the end of the road is, is, is in front of us, and we can see it. This is what we're here for all along. Well, of course, the end of the road is nigh, as as we put it. But as we pass this mortal coil, they'll never remember us. We won't exist, will we? Actually, yes, we will be remembered. 
certainly the best of us will be. The most colorful of us also will be. And it's kind of like um, another deep interest of mine is folk music and how the study of folk music and, and in a larger context, folklore generally, was done by amateurs. They weren't even called folklorists until about the middle of the 19th century. Before then, they were called antiquarians, which means they thought that they were studying folk traditions that were rapidly disappearing and would never reappear. It turned out they were wrong about that, and folklore continues. It's a dynamic process. Uh, UFOs will continue. But science neglected the subject, I don't have to tell you, in, in an appalling way for which some very prominent scientists of the mid-century and later will get their due in the history of science. But we were there, it's just like the early folklorists and, and, and ballad scholars. They were there to collect information that in common consensus and elite respectable society wasn't worth paying any attention to, wasn't worth preserving, wasn't worth trying to understand what its dynamics were. And there are all kinds of things like this that are precedents for the amateur phase of UFO study and then the professionalization of it in the early to mid-years of the 21st century. You know, and, and people will go back and write the prehistory, and we'll be part of that prehistory, just as the early folklorists are part of the prehistory of that discipline. So, yeah, I don't worry about that. You know, in any case, I'm not in this for my ego anyway. I mean, if I were, I, I think my ego would have been crushed long ago. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Uh, you know what but the thing is here, though, we have undergone a lot of interesting things that have to relate to UFOs about how pop culture has embraced it. And that brings us to the reasons why there's even a Pentagon investigation now. If we hadn't gone through all that we did, they wouldn't have bothered, would they? Well, I think that whether we had existed or not, society, science, military, government would have had to deal with UFOs just because of the sightings. The central fact of the UFO phenomenon is sightings. The second central fact about the sightings is that they don't go away. You can pretend they're not there. You can ridicule them. You can invent preposterous so-called conventional explanations for them. They don't go away. And more and more people see them, and more and more people who shouldn't be interested, like astronomers and physicists, start quietly getting they get curious about this. Why is this continuing? Why are there the explanations for these reports so loud? And uh, eventually they work their way out of it. But what we did, we amateurs, we in the prehistory, we saved the history. We investigated the sightings to the best of our ability, and some of us amateurs did very good jobs investigating cases. And, um, in fact, James McDonald, Dr. James McDonald, the, the atmospheric physicist from the University of Arizona, when he came around in the 60s, he was amazed at, at how good some of the investigations done by the UFO groups were. 
they knew what they did. They knew how to investigate a case. They knew how to document. So there, there are rich records there, which they will get, which those who participate in the professional stage of UFO study will find their way to and be able to make use of. Now, I, I have a, you know, it's kind of hard to be optimistic living in America in the in the 21st century for all kinds of reasons. But one thing that I am optimistic about is where this is going. It's going, it, it won't be smooth sailing. There'll, there'll be many bumps in the road, but it's heading in the right direction. And I think that um, this, I don't think that this phenomenon is unsolvable. It's solvable with difficulty, and it may be that we need, we certainly need more knowledge and understanding than we currently possess. But we'll get there, and we're getting there all the time. I think, for example, one thing that's happening is that the reason you're getting these astonishing UFO videos and films and instrumented documentation is that technology on our side has gotten better. Hey, before we go on, before we go on, let's do a brief break here. We've got Jerry Clark. Our guest co-host is Kurt Collins. You're in the podcast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. If you feel America is facing more dangers than ever, you're right. An increasing number of things are falling apart daily. That's why you need to prepare for more of the unexpected, and that includes food shortages. When people panic, grocery stores run out of food fast. Would you survive without food for days, weeks, even months? The smart folks are buying emergency food now. Take this moment to shop MyPatriotSupply.com. We're America's leader in preparedness. MyPatriotSupply has earned over 47,000 four-star and five-star reviews. Our delicious food kits average 2,000 calories per day and last up to 25 years in storage. So it's there when you need it. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com, order a food kit or two, and we'll ship quickly and discreetly to your door. Don't wait for the news to tell you something bad happened again. Rather, be more self-reliant and prepared. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. MyPatriotSupply.com. 
No other network provides the level of customer service we do. When it comes to radio advertising, we are your one-stop shop. And no matter how big or small your business is, we can help. Email us at advertise at GCNlive.com and an experienced advertising executive will help you take the first step towards driving more customers to your business or website. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. For over 20 years, Extendivite has been helping people. Here is a testimonial from Amazon.com. Glad I found this product. I am 51 years old and started getting headaches a couple of times a week. I went to the doctor and my blood pressure was a little high at around 150 over 95. I found out about Extendivite and I ordered some to try it. Immediately, I felt better and it lowered my blood pressure and my headaches went away almost instant. I have been taking it now for about four months and I am so glad I found this product. You won't be disappointed. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our responsibility. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We have Jerry Clark, longtime UFO investigator historian, who got his start as I did. In the, I guess in the late 50s, early 60s, we all got involved in it. We all met, as a matter of fact, through a magazine called Flying Saucers from Ray Palmer. He had a section called Saucer Club of News. And we all hung out there. And it was kind of, I guess, would that be like the Facebook, at least for UFO fans of the 50s? A Stone Age Facebook. A Stone Age Facebook. That's how we heard of each other, as, as of course you know. And that's how we all got connected. And many of us never got out of it. Some of us just kept at it for our entire lives, like Tim Beckley. Turned it yep. into a full-time business. You certainly worked professionally with Fate Magazine, with writing books and things like that. I did radio broadcasting. But I wrote on the side, had a magazine on the side. Now I am in real radio because this show is carried on commercial radio and as a podcast. And what am I doing? I haven't learned any better. Yeah. Yep. I was talking with a, with a longtime ufologist friend of mine a couple of years ago. I was saying, you know, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really thinking I'm going to be tired from ufology any time now. He just laughed uproariously 
And he said, no, you, you won't. He said, it's like the CIA or the mafia. You'll never get out. <laughs> and he, of course, was right. Well, Kurt's the same way. Kurt, you've told me how many times you're laying back from UFOs and you're back in it. Oh, that's right. There's there's new information. And then, plus, you know, you develop a, a network of friends and you miss them. So, you know, sometimes it's the cases, sometimes it's the people, but it's hard to leave behind. I think it's harder than ever because we're actually seeing progress in front of our eyes instead of just, you know, an endless kind of stalemate. It's, things are moving, and that's incredibly interesting. And you kind of want to stick around to see, see it through. Well, of course, you and I, Jerry, have uh, faced certain health issues, and we want to stay alive for this. Yes. You know, we, we want to be like someone like a Betty White who can live to 99 years old or something. Right. Yeah, there, there were some guys in our field who made it to a ripe old age. Obviously, Alan Hynek, Len Stringfield. Yeah, there were some really good people. Uh, Leo Sprinkle died just recently, although he'd been inactive for a number of years, but he had a good long career. And uh, there are others that you can mention. David Jacobs is still alive, although his so I understand it in quite poor health. I haven't but, heard you know, from David Jacobs in years and had wondered about that. Now, of course, Jim Mosley lived till uh, 81 years of age. And until very shortly before he died, he was very active. As a matter of fact, we had him on the show a few months before he died. And he was Jim Mosley. Yeah, we corresponded. And I think our correspondence ended two weeks before he died. There are these characters yeah, you know, there's just all kinds of people attracted to the subject. They're all recognizably human, but they all had the one eccentricity, the one tick or quirk that drew them to UFOs. I met most of the people I've known in this field, even people I disagreed with, you know, about things, I liked. I thought they were nice people. They were interesting people. They were. They thought originally they weren't, you know, just conformist doing what everybody else does. You know, we should talk about some of those people because as we look at what's happening in the UFO field today, we have to consider the contribution by all these people. They weren't just kids chasing after flying saucers. They develop professional careers. They develop skills as journalists, as scientists, to actually go out and investigate the things. Of all the people that you met over the years... Who do you think was possibly the most interesting character? Oh, man. I'll, I'll tell you the one person that I most liked, who I thought was just the definition of an old-fashioned gentleman, a gentleman of the old school, and that was Len Stringfield. I, I just loved Len, and I got to know him later in my career. I, I'd been reading him since I was a kid. And his, his newsletter, and he wrote a book or two. And uh, Len was just a good guy. He, he was a guy with a great sense of humor, a basic kindness. He was just, he was just a gem. You know, he wasn't necessarily like a, an intellectual or anything like that, although he wasn't stupid. But he just had a manner about him that I've always remembered. Whenever I think of him, I think of him fondly. And I met people, of course, 
could not be described that way. Some people were really, I think, bad human beings. But I don't think that they were any more common than bad human beings in more mainstream contexts. But just all kinds of people. Most of these people weren't out for the money. You know, there's this kind of vicious slander of people who get interested in unusual topics that they're out there for the money. Well, it doesn't take too long if you can notice anything that there isn't money in ufology. And uh, so that that's going to be disappointed. But I know people who really gave it, really tried hard to to make a lot of money on UFOs, and that some of them were willing to cut corners. And um, But these are not the people that history will recall. Now, with Leonard Stringfield, his specialty was so-called crash retrievals. Now, Late in his career, yes. Sure. Now, how good was his research into that? Because the only crash retrieval we hear about these days is Roswell with all the questions about that. Well, there are all kinds of unanswered questions about that phase of Len's career. And that began in the late 1970s, although he'd been, you know, he actually saw a Foo Fighter in 1945. So he had been there before anybody else. And he had a, probably the longest career of any single individual in this field. But the business with the crash saucers, and I share your skepticism of Roswell. I think that there are just too many questions about Roswell for anybody to feel too complacent about it. But there's no question that he was getting these, this testimony and these, these statements from people who apparently were who they said they were. And my impression from the outside, and I wasn't the only one, was that he really wasn't investigating these. He was collecting these statements and not asking the kinds of questions he probably should have asked. Like, how could you prove this? You know, starting with that one. And so you get these stories that are unquestionably interesting to read, but you also understand that you know, this is just what somebody said. And there, so there are all kinds of things we don't know about the way Len interacted with his informants. Let's talk more in our next segment with Jerry and Gene and Kurt in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. As Dr. Wallach says, we all have nutrient deficiencies in our diets and must supplement with 90 essential nutrients in proper balances. At no cost or obligation, get a personal certified holistic health coach to help you develop a supplement program based on Dr. Wallach's recommendations. Call Linda at 833-VITAL-90. That number to call is 833-848-2590. That's 833-VITAL-90. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique 
unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. USA Radio News with Wendy King. The hostage situation at the Colleyville Synagogue is over. Governor Greg Abbott tweeted about 9.30 p.m. that all hostages are safe after a loud bang and gunfire were heard. Colleyville Police Chief Michael Miller. Sometime around 9 p.m. today, uh, this evening, the HRT, the hostage rescue team, breached uh, the um, the synagogue. Uh, they rescued the three hostages, and uh, the, the subject is deceased. FBI Special Agent Matt DeSarno. I do not have any information right now that indicates that this is part of any kind of ongoing threat. We obviously are investigating. We'll continue to investigate the hostage taker. We'll continue to investigate his contacts. Our investigation will have global reach. We have been in contact already with multiple FBI legats to include Tel Aviv and London. This is USA Radio News. A snowstorm is blanketing the southeast and northeast with rain, snow, and ice. Up to a foot of snow has already fallen across the region, with, ha- with officials warning of hazardous travel. Winter storm warnings and watches were put into effect from eastern North Dakota to northern Missouri, just ahead of the snowfall. Some people are familiar with an Alberta clipper. This system originated in Canada as a Saskatchewan screamer. Bridges in the Des Moines area are covered with ice, and some roads east of Des Moines are completely covered with snow. Forecasters say much of the state of Iowa can expect at least a foot of snow. Strong winds may also cause blowing and drifting snow during the storm. Officials say you need to check travelers' advisories before traveling through any of these regions. Black ice is also causing difficulties traveling around the Great Lakes and in the Upper Northeast. You're listening to USA Radio News. I'm Ben Utech. I played high school, college, and pro football, helping my team win the 2006 championship. It was an amazing day, but it can't compare to the joy I feel every day with my loving wife and three beautiful daughters. My football career ended after I suffered my fifth concussion. Did you know that over a million athletes suffer a concussion each year? That includes boys and girls, every age, every type and level of sport. It isn't always clear that a player has had a concussion. So parents, athletes, and coaches need to learn about concussion signs and symptoms. The American Academy of Neurology recommends athletes thought to have a concussion be immediately removed from play and not returned until assessed by a healthcare professional trained in concussion. This isn't just about sports. It's about your brain. When in doubt, sit it out. Learn more at aan.com concussion. That's aan.com concussion. A message from the American Academy of Neurology. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Now, in terms of Leonard Stringfield, just for people who want to know, he died from lung cancer in his 70s. And he I don't know if he, 1990, he he died in 1992, I believe. Yeah, I think it was 94, but we won't quibble over a couple of years. Well, ago. I can I can check on that quickly. So okay. go ahead with what you're saying. Okay, we don't know much about his personal life, but he was P 
PR person for a company in private industry in his real life? Yeah, in Cincinnati, I think he was like, you know, in some kind of sales executive or something like that. And um, he was married to Dell for many years. He had kids. When he died, some of us who knew him hoped that we would gain access to his um, documents so that we could figure out what these stories were about and who was telling them. Yeah, you're right. It's 1994. And he... uh, I think would have been willing to share them, but Stan Friedman made a very clumsy grab for these documents while Ed, well, Len was on it, literally on his deathbed, and uh, it made it angered the family so badly that um, they just weren't interested in cooperating with anybody after that. Now, don't want to beat someone when they're down. But after Stan died, you know, I read some of the stuff that Kevin Randall had written that he had pulled a few fast ones over the years to try to get priority access to data and things like that. Yeah, Stan was, I think, had become over the years such a, a fanatical, obsessed figure that that he became, in my judgment and in the judgments of many people, not reliable, not credible, not unwilling to stretch the truth or, or to claim something was true that couldn't be true. I have always said that he, that he and Phil Class were the big nemeses of each other, but it was two guys with the same personality, just different conclusions about UFOs. So he well, was remember, the positive Phil Class and Phil Class was the negative Phil Class. And they were both fundamentally crazy, I think. Stan Friedman was famous for not changing his mind. One of the few things he did change his mind was about uh, his opinion on the Aztec crash, where he originally dismissed it as a fake, and then he later endorsed it, the the work of the Ramses, as uh, as genuine. And I thought that was uh, probably his work, among his worst judgment ever. Yeah, that in MJ-12. I think I think that he he just and he was really belligerent. You couldn't re- try to reason with him. And his standard response was, "Well, how many archives have you visited? How many miles have you traveled?" <laughs> so it wasn't worth arguing with him. But I didn't pay much attention to him, and I think that he had reduced most of his followership to people whose interests in UFOs were not profound. They were more casual, or they were more, maybe you could say, gullible. And um, they weren't listening critically to him, so he was talking more and more animatedly and excitingly and extravagantly. And I'm not even sure that Stan, at some point, knew what he believed in him. Well, I know that towards the end of his life, we did interview Stan, and we tried to get him off his talking points and ask him a few questions about his personal life and such. But those talking points were just rock solid. He learned those standard 10 different buzzwords, the cosmic Watergate and all the other stuff. Uh, and he never deviated from it. No, he was, uh, he, he was just he, he, talking points is a good word. He was all talking points. 
it was just nuts. And I, I, the longer that I've said UFOs, the more complicated the question comes to me, seems to me to be. And there are a number of different angles from which you can approach it. Not Stan. The, the older he got, the more simple it was, and the more reducible to those talking points you mentioned. Yeah, he just was, it was kind of a tragic case. And Phil Class, who I also knew and corresponded with for more, for like 20 years, and I met one, several times, they had the same personality. And they were just talking points and kind of like empty cleverness. Was that a function of just getting old or getting tired? Oh, well, we get old, we get tired. We know something about that, G. Sure do. Remember, <laughs> I, it's, I resemble it's, that it's, remark, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's, a, it's a bunch of things, but I think they always had this sort of personality in which n- neither of them would ever imagine that he could be wrong about something. And that's a personality trait that you can pick up pretty early on if you don't watch yourself, and many people don't watch themselves. Now, going back just briefly, because we kind of segued from Leonard Stringfield because of Stan Friedman and his involvement, but among the various crash retrieval cases that Leonard Stringfield had accumulated, anything there worth further investigation? I don't know. As a general principle, I am I have grave doubts about crash saucer stories, but I'm not so foolish as to say that they're they they're all they're all worthless, they're all have no foundation. I don't know that. And if we had access to these stories and if you read these stories that Stan published in several monographs, they're fascinating reading. I mean they're just they're just great stories and if the people are who Stan says they are, they don't sound like some nut job off the street, yet there is no evidence for them. So we don't know. Is he asking what crash saucers, what the evidence consists of? consists of a bunch of stories. The thing that bothers me about the crash retrieval is the logic of the situation. And we can just focus on that for a moment. So, for example, you have an advanced flying machine from another world it crashes now suddenly you have the wrecking crews coming over and picking it up and you think okay it's crashing obviously there's more than one of them obviously they're communicating with one another by some radio system and therefore if one of them says hey we're in trouble we need help why don't they come down and take care of the situation? You never hear of any. You never hear of an effort, do you, of ET coming over to the crashed saucer and retrieving it, doing something to prevent the local populace from grabbing a hold of this advanced technology? I think that's an excellent point. And uh, as I often say when we're talking about crash discs, I don't know. Just the evidence, just you know, there's there's some some vaguely circumstantial evidence that's interesting that is that is 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 you know that attracts your curiosity when you hear it, but it doesn't go anywhere. And you know, 
Kevin Randall and Don Schmidt, and later Tom Carey, did a pretty good job investigating Roswell. I mean, they, they were everywhere. They interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And at one point, the evidence looked really suggestive. And that was a point, like, back in the 1980s when I was willing to think, yeah, this may be real. But it turned, it just kind of fell apart. It turned out that key informants were lying. Not all of them, apparently. But some, some key ones were just making it up. Now, there's a book out, by the way, we're going to break in a moment. There's a book out, by the way, called Roswell in the 21st Century that Kevin wrote a few years ago. And he kind of goes back to look over the evidence and finds that things that he thought were pretty solid were less than solid. We have the solid Jerry Clark, the solid Kurt Collins. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in Preparecast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I helped thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR. 
PCR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, stimulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com. That's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com. Or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Hey folks, Tom D for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, ghosts, zombies, UFOs, crop circles, and more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people who seek a little more than the other dating services offer. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and you want to connect with others, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. So many people want to share their experiences with the paranormal, the afterlife, the unusual. And this is the place to meet and share common interests with those of like minds. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. That's ParanormalDate.com. Use the code word GEORGE and start meeting others. Get going now and connect with someone you like. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Kurt, before we go on, just to get your perspective, because you've followed a lot of the UFO history and folklore, too, do you have any qualms about Roswell, or do you accept it as something that might be genuine? There may have been a genuine incident. I, I don't think it was, a, it was a saucer crash, though. Uh, and before we move too far away from Lynn Springfield, there's one interesting thing about his work that'll make you maybe take a second look. Before the Roswell story broke, Lynn Stringfield had the story of a major M and his story of recovering this full wreckage. And then later on, it turned that that was the story of Jesse Marcel, and he just hadn't used his full name. And so, you know, that's at least one of those anonymous crash stories that had something to it. So, you know, I, I don't think that there are dozens of crashed UFOs, but... There's one of his stories that was actually, there was a real person that you can, you know, track to testimony. It was a real event. So maybe some of the others are worth looking at. Well, I did want to mention one, one related thing about, about crashes. And, and I wonder if there's, some of these are, are, um, military disinformation. I, I've heard of two things. One is that, that the, um, uh, crash recovery of a, a downed, Air Force plane that the recovery team used the story of a crash sauce as saucer as an excuse and told people to stay away because it was dangerous. And, you know, I consider that merely an anecdote. I don't know anything like that that is actually documented. And the other thing that is somewhat similar, this came from, I think his rank was major at the time, but, but, uh, major friend who was the, uh, head of Project Blue Book, uh, he was, a uh, uh, happened to be the only, only uh, black soldier that was uh, ever head of Blue Book, and he had been a Tuskegee Airman. Anyway, he told John Alexander that 
they had an exercise, they being the Air Force. They would have a, an airman going in a dark hangar. They would turn on the lights, and there would be a saucer, and they would turn it off, and they would ask them to describe it. And it was a test of their ability to uh, you know, interpret and gather and accurately relay information in a surprising situation. And I don't know if that's documented, but and that's that's a story that's told. So, you know, Gary, do you have information about either of those, or at least an opinion on that? Well, I've heard all those stories, but again, you know, there, you know, there are all these interesting anecdotes. Some of them pro Roswell as extraterrestrial events, and others. You know, some mil- secret military operations. On my opinion of Roswell can be summed up pretty quickly, and it's something happened. We still don't know what it was. It probably was an extraterrestrial spacecraft, but it's still a mystery. Roswell, I think, is a genuine historical mystery. There's an answer somewhere in documents that are still deeply buried, but I think that probably, and I'm again, just speculating, that this folklore about an extraterrestrial crash grew on top of, you know, this mystery, a real mystery. You know what bothers me very interestingly about the Roswell crash is there's a general perception here at the original story about getting a flying disc is essentially the real one. Then it was covered over with the thing about, oh, it was just a balloon. But the original story, if you look at the report, says nothing about crash and wreckage, just that they got a flying disc. Well, Kevin points out in his book, Roswell in the 21st Century, which I think is the one book, if you're going to read one book on Roswell, that's the book to read, because nobody knows more about the subject, except maybe insiders on the secret know but Kevin's knowledge of of the subject is just vast. And I think that um, something happened. And um, But as Kevin documents very well in his book, the stories of alien bodies did not show up contemporaneously. There is no contemporaneous record of people claiming to have seen alien bodies in the summer of 1947 that those stories don't start to show up until years and years and years later in the fashion of the way folklore expands, the way legends and rumors expand. And, and the, you know, if you don't have bodies, a craft or wreckage, whatever you want to call it in Roswell, is just some flying machine that, that came down to the ground. And um, there's not, not, no particular reason to think it's a spacecraft. The only reason they think it's a spacecraft is because of the later stories that emerge. Well, I mean, there are, for, there are, there are interesting things about the story that are puzzling. For example, the, 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 you know, the metal that would, you, could, you could play with and it would return to its original shape. I mean, those are interesting things to listen to. And they, they, I'm sure they have some significance. But unless you've got contemporaneous stories of alien bodies from the summer of 1947, it, it's just kind of hopeless to, to, to make a case for a spacecraft. Well, that was the point, I think, that Kevin makes, that he couldn't nail down a reliable story 
about being seen in connection with that crash. Yeah, I think that's an enormous point that Kevin made, an extremely important point to discern and, and write about. So Roswell, at least, deserves a... Uh, I, although it wasn't as big as people play it. It was a, like a one-day wonder in the newspaper, but it's a significant event, has a lot of impact, and there, there's a mystery. Um, but what what are a few events that you think deserve at least a mention in a history of the 1940s and 50s? Oh, I think some of the, 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 you know, the classic cases, Mantell case, the Charles Whitted case. I mean, there are a number of them. There was also, it's not very well known, but on June 24th, 1947, in the Pacific Northwest, a guy saw UFO beings standing outside a UFO. The same day of Kenneth Arnold's sighting that's got the whole thing started. And so there's, there's a CE3 by apparently reliable guy who was sticking by his story 40 years later that he had seen these little men outside a saucer. And he didn't know about little men. He didn't know about flying saucers because, because Kenneth Arnold's story had not made the press at that point. And, um, you know, this, and so, you know, the, uh, these things are interesting. So much of the phenomenon was already set up. It was just got noticed on June 24th, 1947. Because if you read books, there's some really interesting books on the Foo Fighters. And um, uh, Keith Chester's book is one of them. And, um, and Chester, although he doesn't seem to realize it himself, but he's writing about the, the, the UFO phenomenon that everybody got to know after 1947. It was already there, the early part of the 1940s. And what pilots were talking about were not just these nebulous balls of light, but they were seeing cigar-shaped objects. They were seeing discs. They were seeing all kinds of things. As far as I know, there are no CE3s that have come to light. But the the phenomenon was the UFO phenomenon, recognizably, in, in all its variety. Now, if Kenneth Arnold hadn't existed or hadn't seen something on June 24th or had not reported it, how long would it have taken, can we even guess, for UFOs to become part of popular culture? Or was that an out, such an outsized event that it had to happen that way? Yeah, I think that uh, if Arnold hadn't been there, somebody else would have. Remember, this thing starts with a wave. There's a wave in the United States, beginning in the Pacific Northwest, but spreading elsewhere, and even internationally. And so what Arnold saw was part of a wave. If it had just been an isolated sighting and Arnold hadn't been there to see it, it went it would have taken maybe two or three more days for the thing to catch on. But the, the the wave was big enough that people noticed there were strange things in the sky. Hey, we've got Jerry Clark, UFO historian, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and lots of other stuff. 
Kurt Collins, of course, does Blue Blurry Lines and the Saucers of Time Forgot. And Gene Steinberg does something, but we can't figure out what. You're in. The Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. We are GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. We've got listeners, lots of them. Around the world, around the clock, our listeners do what listeners do. They listen. And you know what listeners got? Needs. Needs for your products, your services, and money to buy those needs. With our network of over 1,000 radio stations, streaming on the web, and our satellite transmissions, we're reaching our listeners with quality conservative programming. But there's something our listeners don't have. Your offer to meet their needs. Any business needs buyers. But if our listeners don't hear your message, they're still going to buy what they need. Just not from your business. So let's fix this. Tell us about your business. Then let our super creative department go to work to craft just the right message for our GCN listeners. Get started today with GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. Just shoot us an email. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Yeah, I can figure out what I do, but I'm just being silly. Let's look at Kenneth Arnold because we did mention him. You had met Kenneth Arnold, Jerry? Yes, I knew Kenneth Arnold. Tell us about him. Well... People ask me that question from time to time. They always seemed astounded that I knew the guy. And we were friendly. And um, Arnold, as I, as I like to say, is pretty much what people think he was. He was a guy without a lot of imagination. He was a real, he wasn't stupid. He just wasn't imaginative. And he was a real down-to-earth guy, conservative by every definition of the word conservative. He was an Idaho Republican. He was a hard-working guy. He was a family man. And um, and he just, none of this ever would have occurred to him, or he would or would he have taken it seriously if he hadn't experienced it himself. But Arnold was pretty much the, the one thing about Arnold that 
was a little discordant with me, and it was not against Billy against Arnold, but his ba- the, his basic contact from the beginning in ufology was Ray Palmer, and he and Ray had some kind of association for many years. And uh, when you would ask Arnold, you know, well, what do you think about you know the, what this means, or what what, were, what do you think you were seeing? He would always quote Ray Palmer as the authority, and I I enjoyed Ray Palmer as much as the next man, but I never considered him an authority on anything except the legend of Ray Palmer. <laughs> Well, Ray Palmer, of course, was such an interesting character himself. We can go into that. But Arnold got sucked into the Maury Island mess because of Palmer. And the thing I wondered here is, why did Palmer even pick that event and pick Arnold to go investigate it? It's not as if Arnold was a reporter. Well, Palmer, I don't think Palmer thinks or thought the way you and I and Kurt do. That, that Ray was basically thinking about promotions. And here Arnold had gotten all this publicity. So Ray writes him. And uh, he says, I got this letter from this guy. He's got this interesting story. And Ray was thinking, God, yeah, get the original saucer guy. And then looking into this story, which I'm sure Palmer knew was bogus about the Maury Island materials and the men in black and stuff. But he thought that he could get a good story out of it, and he paid Palmer, I mean, he paid Arnold $500, which was a lot of money at the time. And Ray thought, oh, this sounds interesting. So Ray gets in his plane, and Ray's always, I mean, Ray, Ken Arnold, is always flying around the Pacific Northwest, love flying. And his business took him places. He'd fly to different towns and cities and businesses to you know, sell his fire equipment. So anyway, he gets sucked into this. Let me just tell you, everybody, before we go on, $500, consider that's, what, 1948? In, 2020, 40, in 1947, it's worth today, 2022, and this is accounting for all the inflationary pressures we had, especially in the late 70s, early 80s, and in the current year. The total amount is over $6,200 as a result. So we're talking about a lot of money that Palmer put into this. Yep. And Ray was a guy who watched his money pretty closely. And um, anyway, so Ray goes, God, excuse me, Ken Arnold goes to Tacoma to meet these these clowns, uh, Fred Chrisman and Hal Dahl. And it's pretty clear that uh, uh, Fred Chrisman cooked this thing up. And Hal Dahl was just this kind of slow-witted guy who allowed himself to be led along. And uh, when you read the, the, the account carefully, you realize that the reason Arnold believed Chrisman is that it never occurred to Arnold that this guy could be lying to him because 
Arnold was a real Western kind of guy, where a man's word was his bond. And the people that he knew, that's how they conducted themselves. They conducted themselves that you could make a deal on a handshake. People wouldn't lie to you unless they were real lowlifes. And so it never occurs to him that even though Christmas story gets crazier and crazier and stupider and stupider, and um, that Ken Arnold just sits there and takes it in and takes notes. And when these two Air Force guys show up, um, Brown and Davidson, that Arnold has brought into the case. These guys come because Arnold tells them this is really interesting. So these two Air Force officers fly up there from Northern California. And I think probably within 10 or 15 minutes, they figured out what this was about. But they did not want to embarrass Ken Arnold. And so they just left. Said, well, we got to get back now, and um, it took some of this nonsense material, which they knew perfectly well what it was. It was just some normal stuff you'd find on a beach. I don't remember its precise identity. So they take off, and sadly, terribly, they die in a plane crash on the way back to their to the Hamilton Field, which is where they come from. But Arnold. Is, is the guy who's the last guy left believing the story. That even Dahl had to confess that it was a hoax, and that was after his wife shoved a knife in the, in, under his nose and said, you tell these guys the truth now. And these guys were not Arnold and, and his companion, Abel Smith, but a newspaper reporter from AP. What about all the James Bond aspects to this case where supposedly Arnold comes into town, there are no hotel rooms available, but suddenly there's one available that was reserved in his name. And for our listeners' reference, all of this, at least from Arnold's point of view, was contained in a book called The Coming of the Saucers. The first part of the book is Ray Palmer just rehashing old sightings. The second part is kind of a diary of Arnold's personal experiences during this strange trip. I don't know. kind of suspect that Palmer edited that section heavily, too, because Arnold was not a writer. But there you go. Yeah, everything doesn't have to be explained. There are, there, there are weird, discordant Puzzling things happen all the time. And I have no explanation for that. And But it, it's an interesting detail, but it doesn't validate the story. The core story we know is not true. And it was a hoax made up by Fred Christman. Well, certainly Palmer knew Christman because Christman would write letters to Amazing Stories magazine during the heyday of Shaver. So he must have known this guy, Crispin, was a sketchy character. Oh, he absolutely did. I don't think that Palmer was up to anything honorable. I think he was just pushing this story to sell magazines. You know, I just want to throw this in here. I knew Otto Bender very slightly. Now, as we know, Otto was 
fairly well-known science fiction circles, was a comic book continuity writer who wrote for the original character Shazam that was then called Captain Marvel. He also wrote and created or co-created Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes in 1959. And I met Otto at a sci-fi convention and I said, hey, you, you know Palmer, tell me about Palmer. Well, we'll have that answer in a moment. With Jerry, Jean, and Kurt Jurin. The Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at immunesupportnow.com. That's immunesupportnow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. Airlines have just reduced their prices even more. Book 30 days in advance and save big. Want the absolute lowest prices on your airline tickets? Then call the low-cost airlines travel hotline right now. For prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. The only way to access our low rates and save up to 70% is to call. Save hundreds on your vacation tickets by calling right now. You can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline. Airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 802-341-4535. 802-341-4535. 
802-341-4535. That's 802-341-4535. You've seen crazy diets to lose weight. At GCN Team, our healthy body weight loss system simply neutrifies the body, bringing down cravings. It has been proven that nutritional deficiencies drive appetite for carbs, sugars, and fats. Lose weight the easy way. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Fighting cravings is a fool's game. Give the body what it needs to be satisfied. Again, 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. And he said he liked Palmer. Palmer was his friend, but Palmer would write stuff in his magazines just to get reader reaction. Whether it's Hollow Earth, whatever it is, it was to get the readers to participate, to react, I guess to buy merchandise. It was all about promotion. Not that I disliked Palmer. I met Palmer once. I talked to him on the phone a couple of times. He seemed nice. He seemed sincere. He seemed sincere enough about Shaver, but he was a promoter. Yeah, uh, as you know, Gene, I worked for Fade Magazine for Kurt and Mary Fuller for many years. And they told me many stories about Palmer, all of them variations on the one you just told me. But even they they thought that Ray was kind of a low-level crook. But they liked him. I mean, everybody liked Ray Palmer, apparently. They just didn't trust him. Let's go to that very briefly. It's one thing where he makes up stories, he hypes stories. Not trusting him, how so? Well, the way that I often asked the Fullers about um, Ray Palmer, because as you know, Kurt Fuller and Ray co-founded Fate Magazine in 1948. And so I was really curious about Palmer. And of course, I'd read his, his magazines where your path and mine crossed. And so I was curious about this guy. One thing I remember in particular, their description of his personality, they said that he liked nothing better than to put one over on you. And this was like in the most casual social circumstance. You know, now if if, if I were an amateur psychologist, which thank God I'm not, but if I, just to say I was, I would speculate, okay, here's this guy who's terribly maimed when he's a little kid in an accident with a milk truck. And then he's put in the hands of a completely incompetent Milwaukee physician. And so he ends up four foot something tall all through his life. So he's kind of living in many ways on the outside of society. And I think that he got used to people staring at him when he walked down the street. And fortunately, his personality was such that he was able to find a nice woman and, and, and fall in love with her and get married and have a good family with kids. You know, he could function on that level. But as far as the larger society outside his immediate life was, he probably had all kinds of desires for vengeance to get back at people because they didn't treat him right. And so maybe he, he unleashed those social aggressions 
by putting stuff over on people, not becoming a major crook or anything. But a guy who's, who's staying on this side of the law was able to make a lot of people believe in things they shouldn't have. I was going to ask you about uh, if you'd heard about the way Fate magazine was, was put together. Now, we know amazing stories. He was, was selling the, uh, the Shaver mystery as genuine and even had readers encourage, encourage them to write in about tales of spaceships before UFOs, you know, as we know them, existed. And, and when he started Fate magazine, the first two covers were UFO stories with uh, Kenneth Arnold involved, but that was only one flavor of paranormal and weirdness. There were many other things from reincarnation and, and the supernatural, witchcraft, and, oh, you know, you name it, voodoo and things. Yeah, telepathy, and ghosts, monsters, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Did did all of that come from him? What, how did Fuller help come into that, and how did he manage it after Palmer left? Well, what happened was that um, the publisher of um, Ziff Davis, the publisher of, of Flying Magazine and also of the science fiction and fantasy magazines that Palmer edited, wanted to move from Chicago to New York City. And Kurt Fuller's wife, Mary, was suffering from tuberculosis, and she was in the sanitarium. And and uh, Kurt was holding down the fort at home, taking care of their two kids who were little. And he had his hands full. He did not want to move to New York City. He wanted to stay somehow in 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 Chicago. And he wanted to stay in publishing. He wanted to, stay, but he didn't want to leave Chicago. And um, Palmer just didn't want to move to New York City. It didn't sound like a place that he would like. And uh, he was already starting to think that he was going to move up to uh, Portage County, Wisconsin, which is where Amherst, where, where, uh, okay, he moved to a little town in the early 1950s called Amherst which, by the way, is also the home of an excellent brewing company. And I, as I'm sitting here, I am drinking an Amherst brew from Central Waters Brewery. So it must be a very interesting little town. But he lived there until he died in 1976. And, um, but um, Kurt was gone a lot. He was mostly involved in flying in the early days, in Flying Magazine, which he was the editor of. And so he put, when they when they started Fade Up, Palmer was basically the guy in charge. He was the guy who was there day to day. And he, and he left the Ziff Davis company in the late 40s, 48, 49, just like two or three years after Ziff Davis wasn't interested in publishing the Shaver mystery anymore. And so when Palmer was there in the early days, if you go back to those early issues, they're pretty interesting. It's a lot of wild stuff in there. And um, it turns out that Palmer and his friend, Louise Taylor Hansen, who was a writer that Palmer knew was interested in the occult and alternative archaeology and those sorts of things, just sat there and made up a lot of stories. So a lot of the, the early Fate magazine is 
pure fiction by any definition. Now, the Fullers were both graduates of Medill University, uh, the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University. And so they had journalistic standards, but they neither of them was in shape to enforce them, so they were completely dependent on Ray to hold the ship down while they tried to keep their own lives in order. And finally, it, it, the tension just got to the point, and the Fullers did not leave Shaver at all. They they knew him. He would show up, and he'd be around the office, and they met him on a number of occasions. They said he was a real nice guy, but they thought he was crazy, and crazy is the word they used when they would talk about him. And you know anyway, what? I Homer, met Shaver once, as you probably right. know, in the early I, days. I know that, yeah. Yeah, so when I interviewed him, of course, and I... Got lots of letters from him, and we can ask about that in a moment. For now, I would tell you that between myself and my first wife, Geneva, we had probably hundreds of letters from Shaver. Hundreds of letters. They're no longer around. But we're talking about the switchover from Palmer leaving fate and the Fullers taking a more active role. More to come with Gene and with Kurt. And with Jerry, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented Made in America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. USA Radio News with Wendy King. The hostage situation at the Colleyville Synagogue is over. Governor Greg Abbott tweeted about 9.30 p.m. that all hostages are safe after a loud bang and gunfire were heard. FBI Special Agent Matt DeSarno. Uh, we, we do believe from our engagement with this subject that he was singularly focused on one issue uh, and it was not specifically related to the Jewish community, uh, but we're continuing to work to find motive and, and we will continue on that path. In terms of the resolution of the incident, uh, the, the hostage taker is deceased. Uh, we will conduct an independent investigation. My evidence response team will be here to process the scene and a team from Washington will be here to conduct an independent investigation investigation of the shooting incident, uh, and, and that's the way we handle those things uh, through our normal uh, standard operating procedure. This is USA Radio News. Efforts by the White House to pass federal voting rights legislation went nowhere in the Senate after two Democrats made it clear they wouldn't approve changes to the filibuster. Senate Republican Roger Wicker of Mississippi. Thank heaven 
for uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema this past week for withstanding the browbeating, the unbelievable pressure that they got from their caucus. A fire broke out at an industrial complex in New Jersey. The fire broke out just after 8 at Majestic Industries in Passaic. No injuries were immediately reported. Smoke from the fire billowed across the Hudson River into New York City and more than 50 miles into the Atlantic. Majestic Industries manufactures furniture for casinos. Flames spread to an adjoining building used by Qualco, but didn't reach the chlorine pellets that are manufactured there. You're listening to USA Radio News. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. This is Big the Merciless. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, exactly according to my plan. So in the early days, he called himself Robert N. Webster, didn't he? Ray Palmer at Fate Magazine. He didn't call himself Ray Palmer. Well, Palmer's name, you know, that's a good question. I thought whether it was on the masthead. I think it was because... Palmer had a following, but Robert N. Webster was kind of a house pseudonym, and I don't know if Kurt used it at all. I think he did sometimes, but it was basically the house pseudonym. But anyway, Richard Schaefer, what can you tell us about Schaefer? Well, there have been a couple of good um, biographies in, in the last 10 years about Palmer and Schaefer. A particularly good one is by Richard Toronto. It's called War Over Lemuria, which is the the best history probably that anybody will ever write of the Palmer-Shaver relationship in that era, both in uh, science fiction and in the kind of paranormal occult publishing that fate pioneered. But... Uh, Palmer tells a story which is really intriguing if you don't know the full story. But in mid-1943, Palmer was getting these letters from Shaver, who lived in Pennsylvania. And he had a farm near Bartow, Pennsylvania. And so Palmer got really interested in who this guy was and these strange stories he was telling. So he made arrangements to go out to Pennsylvania and stay at the farm with the, with the shavers. And he told the story, Palmer, for the rest of his life, that he'd heard these horrible voices from these demonic, dear old 
characters who lived under the earth and tormented human beings. And he could hear them talking about how they had kidnapped some local young woman and tortured her. And he said it was just horrible, and he couldn't—he didn't know where the voices were coming from. But they didn't even sound entirely human. So you read the story, and you, <laughs> and you make the naive mistake of assuming that Palmer's a normally reliable guy. And you think, well, gee, that's interesting, you know. And uh, well, it turns out, according I've, as I've learned when I read Richard Toronto's book, that. Um, that yes, he did hear these voices, but he knew where they were coming from, and they were coming from uh, Shaver, who was channeling them. He he was lying on a couch, and these voices were coming out of him. And the and the Diros and all these fantastic stories about these demonic under earth dwellers was just all the product of. Uh, of a mental disorder from Richard Shaver. It wasn't evidence that that the Daros really existed and that Palmer really heard them. He just left out the detail that he heard the voices coming out of Shaver's mouth. Well, you know, what was interesting here, Jerry, is when I interviewed Palmer, and we're going through all the Shaver lore, and suddenly he throws out this bit. Well, you know where Shaver really was when he said that he was in the caves he was in a mental institution, which, of course, was true. But, of course, Shaver went ballistic when Palmer revealed that. Yeah, he was in two institutions. One was in Michigan. I think the other one was in Massachusetts. Yeah, he... Uh, you know, you read Toronto's book, and you really end up sympathetic with Shaver, because Shaver wasn't a bad guy at all. He just, you know, had this sort of strange kind of mental illness. But ordinarily he was functional, and he was a nice guy, and he was honest, according to Toronto's book. But Ray endlessly exploited him, didn't, didn't you know, use his story endlessly for financial gain, didn't pay Shaver royalties, just lied to Shaver, just used him. Well, he said, uh, uh, Ray Palmer said uh a precedent almost. I mean, it, you can look at, at Shaver as the the first UFO witness, and 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 Ray Palmer's role. I mean, even look at Lynn Stringfield. There's like here, I can't prove this story is true, but this guy says it, and this sort of becomes the model for a, a lot of a certain style of UFO reporting. It's like I can't verify the story, but it's based on what this man said. Well, I th I don't think I wouldn't compare uh, Stringfield and, and Shaver, Sh Shaver I mean, and Palmer. Palmer was an exploiter, and he knew exactly what he was doing, and he would do whatever it took to keep people interested. Stringfield was an extremely honest guy, who was genuinely puzzling about puzzled about what was happening to him about these. These informants telling these stories and so on, and I don't blame him. I read I read his monographs, and some of those stories are genuinely puzzling. Not puzzling enough to make me believe them, although they could be true. I wouldn't put a great deal of money on that. But I, I if I bet on it, I'd be sure I wouldn't bet my life savings because who knows what's true. But 
for all practical purposes, these are just stories, but Stringfield was trying to understand them, trying to investigate them to the extent that he could. He wasn't trying to exploit them. And um, other people exploited the stories, but not Stringfield himself. Stringfield is, I think most people in the UFO field, in my experience, are, are honest. But even so, I think Stringfield was unusually honest. Nobody would say that of, of Ray Palmer. Hmm. Now, let me ask you here very quickly here, because we touched upon but never completed that. All right, so Palmer mostly runs Fate magazine in the early years because the Fullers are dealing with their own issues. At some point in time, Palmer separates himself from the Fullers. How did that happen? Well, I think that, the, you know, um, initially... Uh, Shaver wanted to be near Palmer. So he moved into uh, northeastern Illinois into a town where, in fact, my younger son is now a school teacher. And, um, and, um, and then Palmer, the Palmers moved up to uh, Amherst, Wisconsin. And the Shavers followed them there. And I believe, if my memory serves, that, that the Palmers lived only about a mile away from the... The Shavers and the Palmers lived about a mile apart. And then as time passed, growing tension developed between them, often over financial matters. And uh, Shaver really began to suspect that Ray was just just using him, and uh, and they just began to quarrel, and so the Shavers didn't see any reason to stay around there. So in that during that time, there was just beginning people moving down to Arkansas, you know, and so that's where they moved. Right, but what was Palmer leaving to Wisconsin? the reason he split off from Fuller's? Well, I don't know every single intricate detail there. I know that from what I read and what I understand, uh, Palmer wanted to move to Wisconsin. He wanted to move to a small town and set up his publishing operation there. And he was, it was you know, it's, I think it was Palmer Publications. And so he was doing printing for local merchants. He was publishing a couple of mag, two or three magazines. He was just doing whatever he could do to to make a living. And uh, and the, the Fullers had an idea of how they wanted fate to be. And they didn't. They weren't crazy about Ray's editing style. You know, we'll go into more of this in a moment with Jerry Clark. Our special guest co-host is Kurt Collins. I am Gene Steinberg. You're in. The Bearcast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. 
They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at ImmuneSupportNow.com. That's ImmuneSupportNow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. And the IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how'd it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 
This is Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Now, I have to tell you, Palmer always pleaded near poverty in trying to build his business once he established his own company. And I visited his home that one time back in 1965. It was a lovely home with a huge picture window overlooking a river. So I think the guy (laughs) obviously had more money than we expected. And it was kind of funny because Jim Mosley was driving us from Chicago to Amherst, Wisconsin, and kind of getting lost. And so what happens is we enter Amherst, which is a really, really tiny place, goes to the first or maybe the only service station in the town to get some gas. And he says, by the way, do you know where this Ray Palmer fellow lives? And the guy says, sure, here's how to get there. Small town. Anyway, okay, we're still kind of seeing here the split between the Fullers and Palmer. At what point does Palmer disappear from fate? I think that he moved out of, uh, he's living in Evanston, Illinois, which is right where I used to live, right next to Chicago, college town. I think he moved about 1951, something like that. Because the magazine was sold formally in 1955. The Fullers bought out Palmer's share in 1955. So the magazine legally became solely the Fullers. But I think that uh, it had been several years since since Palmer had been active in uh, Fate magazine. When Mary got out of the tuber- tuberculosis sanitarium, which would have been early to mid-50s, she became the full-time editor. And, and Kurt, after Ziff Davis moved to New York, Kurt bought a, an RV publishing company that published guides in a monthly magazine for people who like to travel around in the, the country in RVs, who include my, included my late parents. And that's where he made his money. He, he kept fate going because, as he and Mary would put it, it was fun. Well, so how did, uh, with Ray Palmer, there was an endless source of material. And, you know, if there wasn't a, uh, you know, someone with a ghost story, you, you know, you, you could have made one up. So, so where did they find the material once uh, Ray Palmer was out of it? Oh, there, there was no end of material. No, no. I worked there for a number of years. There was never any shortage of material. You just got to choose what you want, what you thought would, the readers would most likely be interested in reading. Okay, well, so I know you were there in 1980. When did you start? And can you tell us some about how things worked when you were there. Well, I originally worked there for about six, seven months between 1970 and 1971, and I had some personal misfortune, a traumatic breakup with a girlfriend, and I just didn't feel like being in there. I just wanted to go back home to Minnesota. And so in the summer of 19. 19- 76, I came down to Chicago to attend a UFO conference that Alan Hynek was putting on. And so I went to see Kurt and Mary because I'd stayed friendly with them. I'd done some writing for the magazine. And to my complete shock, they asked me if I liked my old job back. And I listened carefully because I was about to get married and I wasn't sure how I was going to support 
you know, my bride and myself. And so I took up the job. And I was there until Fate was sold in 1988. The last issue that I was editor of was February 1989. Then I moved back to Minnesota, where I've lived ever since. But I was close. I was close to the Fullers. I loved the Fullers. They were like, you know, after my dad died, Kurt Fuller really became, you know, my substitute father. He was a wonderful man. He and Mary were great people. I still love them. I interviewed the Fullers at one time for Caveat M Tour magazine, and they were such a fun couple, I agree with you. They were the kind of people who completed each other's sentences. Oh, yeah. Was super close and yep. super friendly. Yep. Yeah, they were. They had a very close, happy marriage. They were good people. They were, you know, Mary was more eccentric than Kurt, but they were just good people. You almost think then as opposites of Palmer. They and Ray Palmer were indeed an odd partnership. They they were they didn't have much in common. Now I should point out that I also talked several times with Ray Palmer's wife Marjorie. She was certainly protective of him when we visited Palmer back in '65, but she seemed like a pretty nice person. And Ray Palmer's son has been on the Paracast. And he was very nice, too, but he was not at all interested in continuing his father's work. Instead, for a period of time after Ray died, his wife and his son continued publishing the various magazines for a while, and I presume they kept up the printing business for some years. Yeah. Well, the the Fullers always spoke highly of Marjorie Palmer. They really did like her, I think. Everybody liked Marjorie, although I, I never met her myself. I wish we could have the um, the subscription role for um, for Fate Magazine during those days, because I feel certain we would see Robert Bigelow's name. All the topics, almost all the topics that were covered were things that he wound up uh, funding study for in uh, the NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Science. You know, it, the life after death, UFOs, you know, all aspects of the paranormal. Well, I had I had one impression I got when I was working there was that one of the things that I was mostly in charge of, uh, particularly when I was an associate editor of dealing with the correspondence. So there'd be letters that come in, people would ask about this or that, like the status of their subscription and blah, 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 things like that. And from time to time, I would see the names of prominent science fiction writers that I knew. For example, one I remember is Richard Matheson, who wrote a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes. He wrote the the novel I Am Legend, which was made into several <laughs> vampire yeah. movies. And, uh, you know, he was really a good writer in, in what he was doing. And uh, so I was dealing with this guy from Beverly Hills or someplace named Richard Matheson. And so I wrote him a letter, and I asked this question. I said, <laughs> "I said, are you the guy who wrote I Am Legend? I said, I remember that novel very fondly. And he sent me a really nice note back. And uh, so I got the impression that some of these writers, these science fiction fantasy writers that I dealt with, were reading Fate magazine possibly because they're interested in the subject matter, but also they were looking for plots for stories. So you would take the plot of a story in Fate, 
switch it around a little bit and becomes a fantasy or horror story. Yeah, or, or science fiction. I mean, it was, I just had an impression, I can't prove that, but I thought, you know, that would be a good place if you were writing the stuff professionally and you were always looking for ideas. You know, so Fate would be a good magazine to subscribe to. Remember, Fate was pretty much on its own in those days. Now we're inundated with, you know, weird stuff on television, Internet, and books, and so on and so on. But in those days, that information was not as widely disseminated. Well, the closest competition, there wasn't any, except, of course, Palmer tried to come up with a competitor to Fate called Search, but the circulation never reached the same level. No, and it wasn't. It, it was. I, it was first Mystic. I think it was Mystic, and then it was Search. Yes. But yeah, it was not a very interesting magazine. Palmer, on his own, doing the, the magazines and Palmer Publications in Wisconsin, they, they, they were not very interesting publications. And uh, the most interesting thing back in the day when Gene and I were young lads. The the interesting thing was, was the Saucer Club news, because you read about these, you know, your your contemporaries who were publishing newsletters, you know, mimeographed null newsletters, and um, and so you knew that you had places to go to read more about saucers than you were getting it in Palmer's publications. And, well, the uh, other thing about Palmer, which was very different than Fate, Fate would pay an author. Yes. A, a yes, sum, not yes, a lot of money, but a that. sum. Whereas Palmer put everything in there free of charge. So certainly the quality of the material had to be inferior. That's right. Sometimes I would see that someone who'd sent us a manuscript, which we'd rejected, had uh, sent it to Palmer and was, was published in Palmer's magazine. And when I would see it in print, I would remember why we turned the story down. So he, <laughs> he just had a lot of inferior material to deal with. We've got Jerry Clark, who produces superior material. Kurt Collins and Gene Steinberg. That means you're in. The podcast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? 92. 
$1,000. Ouch. And the IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how'd it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. (laughs) I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Jerry Clark joining us, and we're reminiscing very much about the strange characters in the UFO field and the related fields over the years as we consider the UFO culture that who knows what will happen to it as UFOs become very mainstream with more mainstream scientists embracing it, a line item in the Pentagon budget, all about that, remembering Ray Palmer, remembering the Fuller's Fate magazine and all that. Now, as associate editor of Fate, do you think that most or all of the stories that Fate published over the years were genuine in the sense that the writers believe them? I think that's true. Occasionally, we figured out we've been bamboozled, in which case the magazine would publish a retraction. Yeah, Fate was really above board about that. And sometimes when we suspected something, we'd investigate and find out that this never happened. So it wasn't like New Yorker-level fact-checking, but it was something. Of course, then, if you know it's a fake, you just pack it up and send it to Ray Palmer. Yeah, yeah. But we also had a sense, if you're reading weird, allegedly true weird stories every single day, and you're just living in that culture, you get a pretty good instinct about what does happen and what doesn't happen in terms of the you know, world of anomalous experience. And so some stories would come through that were clearly complete nonsense, complete fiction. But there were other things that, that had the ring of truth to them. We'd have people sign affidavits and answer questions and things like that. But I think that you know most of the stuff, just looking, getting a sense of who sent this and what that person's background and personality were, you, you, you develop a you know, reasonable confidence that, yes, something strange happened to this person because I think all of us have something strange happen to us more than once in our lives. And so we think, okay, it happened, so what? It's just interesting to read about. Having been exposed to all these strange stories, being an editor for Fate magazine, did that in any way change your personal belief system about all this? My personal belief system, as you call it, is always in flux. It's, it's an evolving operation. 
And yes, I have some very distinct ideas that, that are not necessarily commonly held by people who are interested in these things. But yeah, I, I, I have a lot of ideas about what anomalous experience is about. And I sometimes feel as if, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with anomalies during many of my days, that it's there, and yet it isn't spectacularly there. It's just there, and, it, and its operations are sufficiently banal that they're barely worth telling people about them because they're not that interesting as stories. But I think that these things happen to us. They're around us. They happen to us more often than we realize, but we just rationalize them away and without even thinking about it. It's just a mindless kind of rational rationalism that if we sat and examined more closely what had happened, it would be pretty strange, but still wouldn't make a good story. I, I have this feeling that, that reality is in flux all around us, and there are different kinds of realities that we enter and, and step out of, and that consensus reality is only one of the things around us. You know, it's the one we negotiate, and it's the one we pretend to put our full faith in lest we be thought crazy. But yeah, I, I have very de definite ideas. I am definitely a Fortean. I'm more than a ufologist, more than anything else. I'm a Fortean. Can you explain that term? Because I don't think a lot of people are even familiar with Charles Fort and, and kind of what those ideas represent. Now, there was something you said earlier that that you just kind of allowed for the, the inconsistencies and, and such in the, uh, the Kenneth Arnold story when he was uh, checking into the hotel and things like that, that those are coincidences or oddities. It didn't seem like it had to be explained. So you know, how does that play into things? Do you need an answer for everything? No, I don't. And that's why I'm a Fortean. Charles Fort was, as you guys know, as some listeners surely know, many listeners maybe, was an American writer born in 1874, Albany, New York. He was a, a smart guy, an interesting guy, even when he was a little kid. And he grew up, and he wanted to be a, a novelist and a fiction writer. And he had a writing talent, and he published short stories, both in magazines and in newspapers. He published a novel, and uh, this is all in the early part of the 20th century. And then he ended up spending just a he had enough money so that he could he could support himself and his wife. And he ended up spending a lot of time in New York Public Library. And he was interested in science, he was interested in just a whole range of things. And then he began to focus his interest on things that were reported as peculiar occurrences but um, were, were not explainable, although sometimes scientists pretended they explained them with explanations that themselves made no sense. So he began making notes from newspapers, scientific journals, all kinds of sources about strange things. And many of these were strange things in the sky. Now, he wasn't interested in ghosts or psychic phenomena. He was interested in other kinds of anomalies. And these included strange lights and structures in the sky, strange creatures, falls of material from the sky, all kinds of things that we really don't have explanations for, that, but that are pretty strange. And so then he, he wrote a couple of books during the 19-teens that were just unpublishable. And 
the manuscripts, but from the description of these two books, you understand why they weren't publishable, because they were nut books. That Ford hadn't figured out how to write this stuff up. And I know from my own personal experience, you have to learn how to write these things. Unless you want to be called a nut. And you've also got to tighten up your own thinking. You can't believe everything. You have to have better and better analytical skills so that you begin to understand how these things work, what their dynamics are. If you encounter this thing, what you could expect to have happen to you. Well, he figured this out in 1919. He published his first book. He wrote four books on anomalies. And one was called, the first one was called The Book of the Damned. And it's a very interesting book. It's also a very funny book. It's a very smart book. And it's kind of an attack on our complacent thinking about how the world works, what's possible in the world. Nobody's ever written books like those. There were four of them. The last one was published in 1932. It was called Wild Talents. And he, he was dying as it came off the press. These are wonderful books, and they influence all kinds of people who read them. People, sometimes well-known people in society, journalists and, and entertainers and people like that, and even some scientists were really interested in these phenomena and also his outlook on them, which was just amazingly interesting and always funny. And I read those books for the first time when I was 12 years old, and I read all four of them at once. And they just had an effect on me that has continued the rest of my life. It all began because I was interested in the strange stories. But as I got older and older and knew more and lived more and thought more, I realized what was really interesting about these books was the kind of philosophical underpinning of the book. And uh, that's really, it, it has affected my thinking about anomalies and even daily life. That, it, that it's a stranger and more complicated and tricky proposition than it seems to be. And, and on Ford's style, I get the impression that he was more interested in presenting this interesting information and discussing it, but not definitely not forcing an explanation. No, he, I mean, he would have explanations, but they were pseudo-explanations, usually. Let's do our break here, guys. We got more to come with Jerry, Gene, and Kurt. You're in the Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. 
If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNLoans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNLoans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNLoans.com. That's GCNLoans.com. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. G'day, I'm Jamel that works with Dr. Joel Wallach and the GCN team with Longevity at TeamG'day.com. By becoming an associate, you provide income for you and your family on your own hours while working from home. So contact me, Jamel, by filling in the contact box at TeamG'day.com and I will get back to you personally and provide all the support you need to get started and build your Longevity business. TeamG'day.com. TeamG'day.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. It's interesting how things happen while we're doing shows here. So, for example, as I was working here with our episode with Jerry Clark and Kurt Collins, a package arrived from Amazon containing a pair of reading glasses. We open the package. There's nothing in it. <laughs> now, is yeah, that, that I had that experience a year or two ago with Jacques Vallée. We agreed to exchange our most recent books, 
And so I sent him the most recent edition of the UFO Encyclopedia, which is two big, fat, thick volumes. And then he sent me his latest book. So when the book gets to San Francisco, where Shock lives, the package was there, and he opened the package. There was nothing in the package. And that started a whole 40 an episode with the Postal Service, which I won't go into. But this was not a 40 in disappearance. It was just thievery in the mail. And I suspect that somebody, since both our na names were on the cover of the package, some guy who knew who one or both of us were working in the Postal Service stole the books from the package and then put the package back in the mail so that no one could detect where the theft had occurred. But that ended up being a complicated, unpleasant episode, and the post office refused to pay up on its insurance on the contents. So, so getting back to, to Charles Ford for a moment, so um, you, you described yourself as a Fordian, so obviously you're influenced by the man, but, but how does that mean? How do you approach ideas? Someone wants to become a Fordian, what do they need to do? Well, it's a, it is a deep philosophical skepticism. You grow skeptical of received wisdom, and I don't mean like some crackpot who thinks he's going to overturn Einstein or anything like that. It's not that kind of thinking. It's a lot more subtle and nuanced. One thing it involves is a sense of what is possible in the world, and particularly in one's own experience. That there are some things that are, I like to say, they're neither here nor there. They're not real. They're not unreal. They're just experienceable. And watching the way scientists dealt with the UFO phenomenon for so many decades, I would watch that through Fort's eyes. That would have really amused Fort because they were already debunking UFOs before they were called UFOs or flying saucers. In the 19th century, they were debunking aerial anomalies with explanations that were pretty thin on the ground. And that, that tradition has continued for a long time. And anyway, just, you know, walking down the street, things happen to me. Like when the temperature in Minnesota is bearable, I take walks every day. And I see things out of the corner of my eye. And I assume, well, that's just the reflections off my glasses and so on. But one day it occurred to me that the things I was seeing were sufficiently weird and detailed that what if they did have some kind of reality, just some kind of passing ephemeral reality? Now, probably not. But the fact that I even thought for a few seconds, sort of, that that might be possible means that I have a deep suspicion of banal, ordinary reality and I'm open to other possibilities. And uh, people tell me stories because they know all this and local people tell me interesting stories about things that they've experienced. And just yesterday I was having a conversation with somebody who made it very clear that he had no time for weird stuff, that he did not believe that stuff at all. And I said, I don't care whether you believe it or not. It's up to you. And then he stopped me, hesitated. He said, well, I did have a couple of really strange experiences. <laughs> and this happens all the time. People come up and declare their denunciation of anomalies and the paranormal and the unorthodox. And then they catch their breath and then confess their experience of it. Kurt, may I say something to you? 
Sure. I read something online in the last week or two, and it was an article on Reinhold Schmidt. Yes. The, the huckster contactee. And I thought this is, I thought I knew this story, but there was so much more detail and nuance and perspective on this. Thought, this is one of the best pieces of UFO writing I've read in a while. And then I looked to see who'd written it. And as you know, you wrote it. It was really a fine piece of writing. I want to congratulate you for that. Well, thank you. It was, um, so it, it, you've discussed it before. Uh, this man claimed to have seen a cigar-shaped UFO and talked to the occupants who, you know, later revealed to be from Saturn. And he was gotten involved into some criminal activities. One of the few people that ever went to prison as a result of hoaxing UFOs. And it was it was actually an associated scam, but nevertheless, he was there. So I wrote about it, and I got in touch with his grandson. And I wasn't sure how he would react to his you know his grandfather being discussed. But he was he was happy, and I included his memories of him. I mean, and, you know his personal memories were great, but, you know, I stuck to what could be documented and what was, um, what was determined in court at least and what was said. So I, you know, I try not to libel anyone, but you know, I appreciate the compliment on that. I, I spent a lot of time digging on, on that and, you know, sadly so much time that the, the man died and his, um, his grandson, I mean, the great grandson, Ron Holschmidt, you know, he had helped me get in contact with him. You know, he, he was happy with the story and said his father would have loved it, but that's only regret is I didn't get it finished much sooner so that the, his grandson could read it. Well, that was a, just a fine piece of work. I really, I just was just knocked out. At one point that might be made about Reinhold Schmidt um, is that when we look back at the classic 1950s contactees, we think, oh, they're a bunch of con men. And they, they just made this up to, to make money and so on. Well, that was, of course, what I thought for many, many years until I, I went back and dug into some of the stuff. And that's how I came upon your Reinhold Schmidt piece. And I was thinking, you know, Reinhold Schmidt was basically a, a, a con man. He was the cliche of the, of the contactee who was just trying to rob people of their money and tell ridiculous stories to gullible people. But I realized, I have realized thinking about this in the last couple of years, not many of the contactees in the 1950s were actually conmen in the sense that they had a criminal history and, and they were known as confidence artists to the law. And very few of these guys answered that description. And, and the ones that did actually kind of got moved out of the movement. They just sort of got edged out of the movement. And uh, one of them was Schmidt, when he was associated, as your article documents, with another contactee's organization, Understanding Inc., which was run by contactee Daniel Fry, one of the early 50s contactees. We've got Jerry, Gene, and Kurt, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions, SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. The FBI says all captives involved in a 10-hour standoff at a Dallas-area synagogue are now safe. They say the suspect did not harm the captives in any way and that a global investigation has begun. Officials not releasing the identity of the suspect. Some not-so-subtle hints about his future plans from President Trump at a rally last night in Arizona. And in 2024... We are going to take back the White House. Leave our businesses alone. Leave all of us the hell alone. Tell Joe Biden the Americans' health choices are none of his business. We can make our own choices. Trump calling for the Biden administration to leave schools and businesses alone. This is USA Radio News. Georgia has issued a state of emergency ahead of a major winter storm. After slamming the Midwest already, this powerful system is now heading south and could bring things as far south as Atlanta. Forecasters say the wintry mix of snow, sleet, and freezing rain will be making roads across the southeast dangerous up into the mid-Atlantic, likely to give Atlanta its first measurable snowfall in four years. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell confirming this past week he's running for another term as that chamber's top GOP leader. And Senator Lindsey Graham, the South Carolina Republican, says that Senate GOP leader needs to have a good relationship with former President Trump. I like Mitch a lot. He has a lot to be proud of. But if you want to be a leader in 2022, I expect President Trump to run again for president. You don't have to agree with everything President Trump does or says. I don't. But you got to have a working relationship. You're listening to USA Radio News. Tehebo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood, which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop, and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. The first word is shop, spelled S-H-O-P, then the word super, and then the word tea. The complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100. 
ShopSuperTea.com. This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. As you were saying, Dan Fry, before we do that, by the way, before you mention Dan Fry, he had written a lot of stuff that has alleged scientific stuff in it. And we've gotten one of our regular visitors to the forum who says, actually, some of that stuff looked pretty advanced for its time. Hmm. Well, as uh, Kirk points out in his article, when Schmidt started getting into legal trouble, when it was clear that he was he was a crook, uh, Fry and his organization, which had really promoted him, edged him out of the group and didn't want anything to do with him anymore. And this is in this sort of was in conformity with an idea that had occurred to me that that the contactees who were actually con artists in the you know in the sen- in the legal sense were not really that common in the contactee movement. Telling something other than the strict truth was pretty common. But these guys were not really crooks, I think. I think that all of them, or not all of them, but maybe most of them, had had experiences that w- what I would call experience anomalies, sort of, sort of like liminal experiences where things are not quite real and not quite unreal. But if they happen to you, you think they literally happen in the world. But soon enough, you begin to realize that you can't prove this. And uh, people will just laugh at you if you tell them that they had spoken with a Venusian. And so you want to prove this, and you want people to listen to you. So you start faking evidence. And you get used to incorporating your true experience into a lot of other stuff that you make up around it. And, and what you make up around it includes, you know, more or less coherent occult philosophy. And so the contactees were in the 50s were mostly running around knowing that they were lying about some things, but believing intensely in something else. And we're not used to that kind of mentality. So when somebody comes along peddling a ridiculous story, we just assume they're lying. But what if they're not really lying in the sense that we a con, that, a, that a con artist would lie, but sort of lying to enhance what they consider the truth? And I don't think that uh, Reinhold Schmidt quite made it to that, but I think that people like Dan Fry and George Adamski, George Van Dassel, guys like that, uh, maybe even Howard Menger, got to some point with a story that they thought was true. That's interesting. Now, now I have a little harder time believing that with, with George Adamski because his his prior history of of belief, and their, their stories, and I don't know how accurate it is, that he took old religious texts and you know, struck out Jesus or angel and put in Space Brother. You know, if that's if that's more of an anecdote than, than the truth, but well, let me let me say this for George Adamski, and, and and for most of my life, I would have said some variant of what you just said. 
And all those things are true. But I began to rethink Adamski when I was doing research in, in an archive for the uh, for for my UFO encyclopedia. And I found in a NICAP file a letter that Adamski wrote toward the end of his life, a private letter to Donald Keogh. Keogh was director of NICAP. He was trying to get congressional hearings. It's a well-known, probably the most well-known UFO proponent of the 1950s, retired Marine Corps officer. And he was pushing for studies, for investigation of puzzling sightings of UFOs, not contactee stories. He thought the contactees were a bunch of liars. And NICAP and Kehoe fought the contactees. So anyway, he gets this unsolicited letter from Adamski. And I think it might have been, well, it was in the, I think in the early 1960s. It wasn't long before Adamski died. He died in 1965. And um, he writes Kehoe, and this is not a letter for publication. It never surfaced anywhere. But he said that, you know, I just want to tell you that I really appreciate what you're doing. This is a paraphrase, of course. That we're both involved in the same quest to bring out the truth about space visitors. And you have your way of doing it, and I have my way of doing it. And the letter was written by a patently sincere man. Now, what he was sincere about, apparently, was was a keen belief that aliens are visiting Earth and this was important. And that even though of the, all their differences, he and Keo were basically doing the same thing. And I thought, well, what is, what is Adamski sincere about? And if you think about that, that there's some kind of sincere thread moving through Adamski's career, you begin to get a different perspective on it. One thing you notice, for example, is that all the people who were close to Adamski, like every day were, were close, believed his stories. They didn't see anything that made them believe that he had made it up. Now we know the photographs are fake, but it's all in defense of the core story about benevolent space visitors. So he can make up, he can lie about a lot of things, as long as he was working for that larger truth. You know, people don't always think straightforwardly. They compartmentalize it. Some people are very good at compartmentalizing thoughts. They can believe two different things at the same time and see no contradiction. Adamski and some of those early contactees may have been those kinds of people. Well, do you think with George Adamski that maybe as some people feel he had some experiences in the 40s that he wanted to convey and he used the mechanism of a Klaatu-type being in the wake of the day the Earth stood still to get his message across? Yeah, well, this is the, 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 the golden-haired Venusians are, are out of, uh, you know, Madame Blavatsky's theosophy. And, uh, and there were golden-haired Venusians in the 1930s and 40s with uh, some of the popular called groups around in those days. So there was no, it wasn't hard for him to get this source. But what's really puzzling is that since then there are a number of non-contactee CE3s where people des describe seeing 
they don't call them golden-haired Venusians, but the description is the same as Adamski. As Adamski's description of, uh, you know, his Venusian friends. There's, the, the, I think the reality of this is is really complicated, and it's a kind of it's it's a it's not a an actual reality. It's a liminal reality that that uh, is neither here nor there, but is vividly experienced. And I think that that, that was the core of the Adamski story, with, to which he added much out of his conscious imagination. Speaking of contactees in general, what about the possibility here, and I think this has been hinted at by Nick Redfern, that some of the contactees may have been involved were victims of some kind of government experiment? Yeah, I don't see any evidence of that. I hear that Jacques Vallée often talks about that. Show me the evidence. There would have to be there would have to be a budget for that. There would have to be documents, even if they were secret documents. There would be documents that eventually would be findable. And there would be people who come up years later and say, yeah, I was part of this. We played this trick on this poor guy. Nobody's done that. This is just a purely theoretical concept, which I see no evidence for. We have plenty of evidence for the fact that Jerry Clark is here, because I hear his voice, and Kurt Collins. And you will hear both Jerry and Kurt on this weekend's episode of After the Paracast, which, of course, is part of the Paracast Plus at theparacast.plus. I'm Gene. You're in. The Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. No matter if supply lines are down, product deliveries are slow, and that most everything costs more these days, you still have neck and shoulder pain, right? Good news. Sunny Bay has new products that target neck and shoulder pain. Products that are in stock now, ready to ship anywhere now. Like our extra long neck heating pads. They provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs. You can heat them in a microwave oven, and they come in a variety of colors and patterns. And for stress relief, get our lavender scented 
needed hands-free neck wraps. Or maybe you need one of our smaller lower back wraps. Great for seniors. Again, there's no shipping delays from Sunny Bay. Find our new products on Amazon, Walmart, Etsy, and sunny-bay.com. Just search for Sunny Bay Neck Wraps. All our products are great for men or women, are reusable, and easy to clean. Remember, just search for Sunny Bay Neck Wraps. Order now because stock is high and shipping is fast from Sunny Bay. Hi, this is Sophie Winnick, longtime distributor and user of Longevity products. In the last few years, my family went through a crisis. Everything else in my life, including my business, had to be put on the back burner. Thankfully, life is getting back to normal now. But the one thing I never had to worry about was my business and my monthly commission. I've been a distributor for Longevity for over 17 years, since before it was Longevity. And I've got to say, the most amazing thing about this company is the people. While my family was in crisis, other distributors stepped in and helped my customers, simply because that's what Longevity people do, even for people they don't know. For me, it has never been about getting rich. It was about a product I could stand behind, a company I could count on, and a monthly commission check that has never not once been late in 17 years. Longevity is truly a business for everyone, even people who have too much to do. I'm Sophie Winnick. I'm just like you. I have a real life, real ups and downs, but I know I will always have longevity. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork, you know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big, bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-507-3137. That's 800-507-3137. Hi, this is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So what do we learn, if anything, from the contactees of the 1950s or just a culture that has largely come and gone? Well, I think that we can learn. This is one of the many conclusions I've come to after a year, after a lifetime at this. And one thing is that it is not the content of a story that discredits it. You can hear a story that is extremely fantastic. If you don't want to deal with it, you just laugh it off and say, oh, this guy said that he saw blah, 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 blah. That's so obviously ridiculous. We don't have to go any further. Well, you can believe that this person had that experience. is completely sincere, insane, and really is puzzled about how this encounter with a fantastic creature or entity or whatever. The content of the experience is less important than the meaning, the dynamics of the experience, that you could have this experience. The content is almost secondary. The content, of course, is going to be fantastic. That's the whole idea. 
and some are more fantastic than others. That doesn't mean they're any less true or untrue than others. It's the experience that is the core of it. It's not the content. Yeah, it's like you know, if you're trying to get patterns out of certain kinds of fantastic claims, and you just can't add them up. They have certain features in common and others not in common, but they have this in common. None of them is provable, and it is almost certain that the entity or creature described doesn't exist in any physical or biological sense. Nonetheless, that doesn't explain the experience. It's, it, there is some kind of energy or something, there's no real word for it, in which these things are possible. It's kind of like what the British ufologist Jenny Randalls called the Oz Factor, where people have some fantastic experience where there should be other witnesses, and nobody's around to see it. It's almost as if a little show has been put on, not just for a single witness, but, say, several people around him in his immediate vicinity. He sees a fantastic UFO just hovering above the ground, flashing lights, Oh, incredible sight, and looks around, the landscape is strangely barren. Even places with ordinarily a lot of traffic, a lot of people, are barren. There's nothing there. Everything except people and evidence of human activity. And then the person comes out of this, the UFO disappears, and suddenly they're in normal reality where there are all kinds of people around, none of whom have any idea of what had just happened to this one guy with a small group of people around him. So you would think there then, if I was watching Betty and Barney Hill when they had their UFO encounter, I'd see nothing like it. N not necessarily. I think that what I'm talking about are what I call experience anomalies. I think they apply only to certain kinds of things. And these are usually what we call the high strangeness cases, where something really incredible happens, and however you define happens. But when something is showing up on radar, seen by multiple and independent witnesses over distance, their physical traces, those sorts of things, then you have an event. You don't just have an experience. But we have a tradition of monsters, and people who encounter a monstrous creature think, oh my, this must live deep in the woods and we just haven't found it yet. No, it exists as long as you're experiencing it and then it's gone. It's no more than an experience, an extraordinarily anomalous experience, admittedly. But it doesn't exist in the way your cat does. So how do we explain the hills, for example? I generally think that abduction experiences are anomalous experiences, anomaly experience anomalies. I think there are things that, that you can experience vividly and frighteningly, but they have no larger reality outside your experience of them. But I do think that there are certain kinds of cer certain abduction experiences that really do look like actual events. And I would put, because of the long, complicated dynamics of the ill experience, I would say this really happened to them, just like with Travis Walton. I think there are certain abductions that really look like events. Experience anomalies get their model from other strange things in the world. Some of them are really in the world, some of them aren't. But the experience anomaly will have the appearance of something real 
but it may just be imitating something real, even, even some other extraordinary anomaly. For example, what if the Sasquatch of the Pacific Northwest is a real animal, like a great ape that has found a place to hide itself so that we can't prove it exists, so we can't come in and wipe it out? But if you see a, a hairy biped in South Dakota or Texas or Maine or just about anywhere these things are reported, which is pretty much all over North America, those are not biological creatures. They have the appearance of biological creatures, but they're kind of anomalous hallucinations that use the model of the Sasquatch, which may indeed be a real animal, a real anthropoid, and they make this incredibly vivid fantasy around the, the model of another more real anomaly. I hope I'm explaining myself clearly. It's not an easy concept. I've written about it at length. At some point, Gene's going to ask where to find more of your work. I think people that are interested, where, where have you written about this? What, what, where can they seek that out? Well, I've written a number of articles and essays in 40 and Times and various issues. Also, there are a couple of books of mine. One is called Unexplained, and that is the publisher's title. It's not mine. But it's a trade, big, fat trade paperback that was published, I think, in 2013. And I wrote a book, which is my personal favorite of my books. It's called Hidden Realms. And that's a, not another trade paperback published in 2010. And uh, between those two books and my essays in Fortean Times, I think that's where you get, get the story. Certainly they are the affordable ways to find what yes. you're doing. Now, the UFO Encyclopedia, I take it that the publishers would never consider licensing a lower-cost version for regular people to buy. Well, you know, I, I, I'm not up on modern technology, to put it mildly. But um, they have published versions of the third edition of the Encyclopedia in different volumes which you can read electronically. You'd have to go to to Amazon, I guess. Okay, those are Kindle volumes then. That's the format. Kindle, Kindle. I was trying to hide that I couldn't remember the name. Kindle volumes. Yes. And just where the author, search for Jerome Clark. and You'll see everything that I've written that in book form that's still available. Now, you don't have a website, you do not have a Facebook presence or anything like that? No, I just don't interest myself enough to want to do that. Well, of course, we have people like me who will call him up every so often. By the way, he's going to be hanging out for our premium show after the Paracast because there are a few other things I want to cover before we let him leave the building with Elvis. And I say that because he's a songwriter, too, so we always have to mention the music. You can find us on Twitter if you look for the Paracast. Speaking of social networks, you can find us on Facebook, but they won't let us put the URL for the Paracast at Facebook because they're crazy. Now, of course, they'll ban me because I call them crazy, but that's just too bad. You can also buy branded merchandise for Paracast listeners. This includes the T-shirts and the throw pillows and all the other good stuff. Go to the Paracast.shop, the Paracast.shop. 
Our premium show is called After the Paracast. It's available as part of a subscription package called The Paracast Plus. We also give you a version of this show free of the network ads with higher quality audio. So all that great commentary from Jerry and from Kurt sounds even better. For more information, go to theparacast.plus. That's theparacast.plus. Special deal. Use the coupon code UFO20, UFO20, to get a 20% discount on five-year and lifetime memberships of the Paracast Plus at theparacast.plus. Jerry, thank you for joining us on the Paracast. Well, thank you for having me. I guess we did have something to talk about after all. Featuring Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.